Okay, hi everyone and welcome to today's uh, podcast session for The Library is Open. My name is Jessica Zero and I am one of your hosts along with Nate Carula. Uh, hi, Nate. Um, hey. Today we have with us Rob Hilliker from Hotchkiss School. Hey, Rob. Good to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. Um, so Rob, why don't we kick this off? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I've worked uh, in a lot of different libraries and a lot of different roles over the past eight years or so, or gosh, we're coming up nine, yeah, nine years uh, since I started at Rutgers where I was uh, in acquisitions. And, um, you know, I did my library degree at Rutgers. Uh, my role uh, previous to coming to Hotchkiss, I was at the uh, Center for Digital Research and Scholarship at Columbia. And um, right now I'm the library director at the Hotchkiss School, which is a boarding school of about 600 students uh, up in the southern Berkshire. So uh, beautiful and very different from working in the city, uh, especially being a boarding campus. You know, get to work uh, really closely with the students and uh, they spend a lot of time in the library. So it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Can you just uh, tell us a little bit about your experience in using your previous system? And, you know, just kind of touch on uh, what made you switch to open source. Absolutely. Well, so, so during my time at Columbia, uh, you know, I was running Academic Commons, which was the institutional repository. And that was my first real experience with open source software. And uh, I really learned a, a lot in that role and really came to appreciate the value of community around uh, you know, healthy open source software really involves a community. I think that for us was a big factor in our shift here at Hotchkiss. You know, we've been using Millennium for some time and it worked fine, but really the model of was in my mind broken in the sense that, you know, we were just totally dependent on whatever III decided was the next improvement or the next, you know, the next thing. And, and, um, you know, we really didn't have any sense of control or direction over our own system. And so to be able to, uh, you know, have an option like uh, Koha out there that's an open source system and be able to, you know, have some role in saying, well, gosh, this improvement would be good or that improvement would be good and also be part of a community where other people are coming up with ideas for how to improve the system. I mean, it was just a huge step forward. So I think, you know, when we, when we did our RFP, we really didn't know that we were going with Koha. It was sort of the dark horse, uh, you know. Um, I mean, I've said this before, you know, we were looking pretty seriously at, at OCLC's mm -hmm. system. Because again, that was a sense of community, right? We're part of OCLC. It's all these libraries and yeah. libraries working together. But because Koha is open source, it adds an extra level of freedom, right? OCLC was still, you know, as we found out, driving the boat. And they're doing good things. It's not a bad system. But it's not one where we have that, that role in the community. Um, and that's really the open source difference, you know, in my mind. I mean, I think the other thing, you know, that I take from my time at Columbia, because we weren't just doing open source, we were also doing open access and really open culture yeah. more broadly. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I learned there was the role actually of, um, of third-party providers or whatever you want to call them, of companies like Bywater, 
to actually be able to flourish in an environment like that because you know you guys right this is your pitch this is your thing you know you can focus on the service and give the best service to mm -hmm. your customers and you don't need to worry about all the other stuff i mean i remember uh hearing from folks uh you know that a third of the cost of of running uh for example subscription journal or some sort of right anything where you're trying to close off access a third of the cost is keeping people out i mean you know if you think about how much money is going into closing things uh, you know open them up and and it makes yeah. everything that better for everybody it actually makes for more more business uh, frankly i think it's a better business model and certainly certainly it works better for us so yeah we used to call them anti-features right right yeah. <laughs> i'm into developing anti-features it's just counter well, that's it you know i mean when you've got a business model where you charge people for something you've already developed you charge them extra every year that's <laughs> that's not sustainable that's just punishing your users. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that was what drove us to, to look to make a switch, mm -hmm. was that sense of being locked in and, and being sort of held over the barrel and seeing how much money they could shake loose. That's not, that's not the business we're in here. You know, we want to get the best resources for our, for our users, for our yeah. patrons. Uh, and, um, being able to, you know, be able to come to some of the Koha meetings and meet other libraries and learn from what they're doing and not just learn from them, but then know that we can, we can do that tomorrow and it doesn't cost us extra money, right? It's yeah. not that you're paying for some feature we don't have access to. Mm. Yeah. You um, that's an empowering thing. So, yeah. So Rob, talk to us, how'd you set the stage and get ready for the, the change and the implementation uh, for Koha in your library? Sure. You know, we really uh, tried to be very, very thorough and very, um, I mean, we followed, you know, the script that you guys gave us to a T in terms of uh, doing, you know, testing. Mm -hmm. um, we broke it up between, you know, we've got a pretty good sized staff here. We've got a team of 10 and uh, most of our folks have library degrees. So they're really pretty knowledgeable. They, they know their way around the system. I mean, and everybody had been involved in using the previous system pretty intensively. So, you know, gave everybody a role and said, okay, you know, run through the test system, try everything out, make sure you know, uh, you know, what you need to do. And it was really, they did a, a pretty awesome job. I mean, Patricia, who, who doesn't work here anymore, but uh, who was our administrative librarian at that point in time, uh, actually, you know, we picked up some bugs right when we were even doing the, the training with, uh, you know, with Ed. Um, we submitted stuff to Bugzilla right then and there because, uh, you know, they were really getting into the, the details. Yeah. And the so uh, we, were, we were pretty prepared. I mean, I think the other part was preparing our users. And, you know, the easy part there was, frankly, our previous system, nobody could log in. Like nobody knew how to log in. Mm -hmm. Right, because you needed to know your library card number, and nobody knew what that was, and you needed to format your name, like last name, comma, first name, and if you didn't do it right, it didn't work. I mean, just nobody ever logged in. So, yeah. at taking advantage of those features, uh, you know, was just brand new for everybody. So it was introducing people to stuff that felt totally brand new, and that's that was just exciting for them. Yeah. 
Excellent. So how about the reception of your new catalog, uh, which you call Bearcat? Yeah. Uh, how did the students react uh, when, when you brought it online? Well, let me tell you, when we brought it online, it was, it was pretty awesome. I mean, I, I uh, introduced it. I went to an auditorium and, you know, all the students are there. Uh, and I did a little PowerPoint and then we did a live demo. And I had some students, you know, I had the, uh, the school presidents come up and do like a test search just to show what it would look like. And then, and then I showed them the shelf browse feature with the, you know, with the cover flow there. Um, when I introduced that, the students literally stood up and, and clapped and applauded and cheered. It was ridiculous. I love that. <laughs> I have never, ever seen high school kids applaud an OPEC. Like that just... It's not supposed to happen, right? <laughs> but it did. It was real. And, um, you know, I think they, you know, the kids who had used the old Bearcat, right, the, the previous OPAC, yeah. just, it was night and day for them. So the, the fact that they could, you know, find stuff uh, so easily, see covers, it's much more visual, mm -hmm. right? It's much cleaner look and then that they on top of that they could log in and renew their books and placeholder requests and yeah and actually the biggest thing for us one of the uh custom tweaks that we had you guys do for us on the opac was to push the purchase request right into the front menu and so that purchase requests i mean it's it's one of the most popular pages actually on the site uh people people have been making purchase purchase requests like crazy, which is great for us because then we know what people want to read yeah. and we can get it for them. And they know that they can come to us and it's as easy as going to Amazon yeah. and it's faster and it's free, <laughs> you know? So, um, you guys were using a Google form before that, right? That's right. We had a Google yeah. form and it worked okay. Uh, you know, frankly, it was a little complicated, I think, and we simplified it, but it still was not obvious to people that they could make a purchase request. Yeah. So in the OPAC, it's right there up front, purchase request. And, uh, you know, people, faculty and students alike are, are using it. Uh, in fact, even the librarians use it, which drives, you know, our purchasing person a little crazy. <laughs> everything shows up in this giant number of books that I need to order. Couldn't they like do it, you know? <laughs> so, but uh, no, it's a huge success. I mean, we've, awesome. yeah, we've had hundreds of requests since we went live uh, through that purchase request. So that's a huge, uh, huge step forward, you know? And the, I mean, the other really nice thing about the OPAC, I don't think we ever made a single change to the OPAC, the old OPAC, uh -huh. uh, you know, on our old system because it was so freaking difficult to get yeah. in and actually change anything. And now we have the ability, you know, either through a ticket or through doing it ourselves to make a simple change uh, really quickly and to even make more complicated changes happen. I mean, you know, um, here in Connecticut, uh, the Connecticut Library Consortium has this discount pricing with StackMap, uh, right? And these folks, yeah. You know, you give them your shelf ranges, right? They come, they do a single on-site visit to just, you know, check everything out. And then they create a map of your entire library that's plugged into your catalog. So when somebody looks up something, they just hit the map it button and boom, it's there. And to be able to know that 
that integration would be a possible, but you know, be actually pretty seamless. Uh, again, that's a huge thing coming from a system that couldn't handle, right? That's one of the advantages of open is you know what you're working with, you know where the hooks are to hook things in, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it just makes that kind of integration that much easier. It also allows us as a vendor to better integrate with these third-party companies and form partnerships and things like that. Um, based on your uh, relationship with StackMap, we, we're actually across the hall from them at uh, one of our conferences. Oh, no way. to talk with them, and we talked about you know, your implementation, and you know, we're working towards better integration with that company uh, awesome. to have it easier, you know, more pluggable um, with Absolutely. because of your experience. So it's pretty cool. Well, and that's, Nate, that's exactly what I, you know, meant when we were talking about, uh, you know, the community aspect of, of open source, because you're in a position where any kind of partnership you do like that just enhances, you know, enhances Koha mm -hmm. and then encourages people to work with you as a, as a vendor. So it's a win-win situation for everybody mm -hmm. instead of, you know, you, you know, if you were a, running a closed system, you'd be looking to, you know, buy these guys out and be the only ones who had stack map. I mean, it's just such a different mindset mm -hmm. uh, that you get into. And so the mindset of openness really creates for that healthy community where, you know, everybody's helping everybody up. Yeah. And it doesn't like, I mean, in a proprietary environment, they would probably charge stack map to integrate with their, with their system. Right. Or that's the other. Yeah. And they would also charge their customers to be able to integrate with that system. So, yeah, we're able to do it without charging anybody anything. I mean, you have to pay for the service, but that's a separate, it doesn't have anything to do with your ILS, you know? Exactly, exactly. We pay StackMap for their service, we pay you for your service, and we're done. We're not paying, there's not, yeah. <laughs> that model doesn't make any sense to me. These residual add-ons for nothing, you know? It's just it's an excuse to charge more, so. Absolutely. So this is a kind of a good segue on to our next question. Rob, you've been kind of traveling a little bit this year and um, presenting at a few library conferences, uh, both about Koha and, and, and your library itself. Um, talk to us a little bit how, how, that, how your presentations have been perceived by the attendees talking about the switch to open source. You know, a lot of times we get questions about um, fear sometimes, you know, making the switch and, you know, what, what has your perception been? You know, I think you're you hit the nail on the head there. People are afraid of what they don't know mm -hmm. and they're afraid of taking ownership of, of, of their ILS. Yes. Way. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you see it all the time in different ways, right? But mm -hmm. certainly, uh, you know, in the library world, people, I think for a long time have been used to just sort of, well, you outsource that, right? You have one systems guy in house yeah. and then you have the, you know, vendor outside and the systems guy handles all the conversations with them. And, you know, uh, then you don't, you know, you don't think about it that much, but the symptom of not thinking about it that much, I mean, you know, it's a digital age. So yeah. actually if you're not on top of what your ILS is, you're missing out on the best opportunity, I think, to engage with your users. Yeah. Certainly one of the best. And so, you know, I mean, we did that presentation together, you and I, at the LibTechConf in yeah. uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. 
And I think, you know, what I heard there uh, really, you know, was that, but also the curiosity is growing. Yes. And there's a sense of, well, what does it mean to go to Koha and be open source, but then have this hosting and support provider? You know, that, that model, I think, really appeals to people because, you know, you look at a, a project like the one uh, when I was at Columbia uh, on the Academic Commons, we were part of a consortium of libraries working with Blacklight, uh, which is an open source, you know, uh, mm-hmm. discovery layer. And, you know, we had probably four or five full-time computer programmers who spent a good chunk of time working on customizing that for us. That's not a model that's gonna work for everybody. So for people who that's their experience of what open source means, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they're nervous. I don't wanna hire, I don't, you know, I don't wanna hire a bunch of computer programmers. That's not my area of expertise. But they can hire you guys to do the hosting and to manage the process of, you know, bringing enhancements into Koha and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, that's a model that makes sense to people. And hopefully, uh, you know, that's what we're seeing, right? I mean, people yeah. that we've talked to, uh, they're calling you guys up, they're signing contracts, uh, which is great. It's, uh, you know, it's a win for you guys. It's a win for them because they get a good, uh, a good service provider and a good uh, new ILS. And it's a win for us because the community is growing. Mm-hmm. And especially when, you know, as an independent school, I mean, we certainly weren't the first, you know, we had, uh, Loomis Chapey down the road from us uh, joined you guys before we did and others in other places, I'm sure. But now that there's this groundswell of momentum and all these schools coming on board, now we can start to put our heads together and say, well, what sorts of features really are going to appeal to our users? Are there things that we could be, you know, collectively funding uh, improvements to, to Koha? Um, that are really going to meet, or even just sharing notes, frankly, on, you know, well, how did you implement this and how did you implement that? Uh, what kinds of reports are you running? I mean, all that sort of, you know, uh, shop talk stuff that librarians, you know, like to get into, but, it, but it's all about serving our users. Mm-hmm. Really, one thing I absolutely love about the Koha community is just how much they share to help other librarians help their patrons, their students. Just at Koha US last week, so many people are like, here, let me share that report with you. I, I, I have that on my system already. Or um, their printer receipts, they were saying, oh, look, did you know you could <laughs> add this to the bottom of it? And, it? and I mean, they were just sharing it back and forth. And that, to me, is yeah. just so powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. No, well, and, you know, even thinking about, I mean, we went to the regional meeting uh, down in Farmington, I think. And, yeah. Uh, you know. Hearing, hearing about the way they used RFID and things like that. I mean, it just opens your eyes to new ideas. And again, ideas that you can implement because you're not having to pay your vendor, you know, X thousands of dollars just to have, you know, uh, turn on some RFID enabling yeah. feature that, that's already there. They just, you know, they control the switch, right? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the coolest things about Koha is, you know, if you peek in those administra- that administrative section, there are all these switches, and you can flip them yourself. You don't need to, <laughs> you know. Um, maybe some of them you don't want to, but that's a different question. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that's why we have you guys to support us, and if we accidentally take something down or whatever, right, we can get it back up. But, you know, obviously, um, you know, the idea that, you know, the system is ours, mm-hmm. right? We're just paying you for support. That's super empowering. 
uh, and you know it's and then that it's ours collectively through the community uh, even better I yeah. mean yeah awesome. all right Rob what's next on your uh, project list you know um, there are just so many different projects we've been doing a lot of physical uh, renovations to the library we just hauled out a couple of shelf ranges uh, we got cool. some new furniture coming in we got our uh, maker space uh, starting to come online, uh, a Glowforge hopefully, hopefully arriving soon. So I don't know if you guys have seen the Glowforge, but it's this cool uh, desktop laser cutter. Cool. Uh, it was started as a crowdfunded thing on Kickstarter. Um, anyways, there's a lot of kind of stuff. In terms of, uh, in terms of the OPAC and in terms of Koha, um, actually, we just had our authority files redone, so uh, um, you guys are about to reload them for us, so that'll be good, uh, better searching. Uh, you know, that's library geek stuff, though, and that's not, a, um, not a big deal for other folks, I suppose. But, um, and then, you know, I think we're just, we're looking forward to uh, introducing StackMap to the community because it got implemented right at the end of the last school year, so most people aren't aware it exists. Cool. Um, and, um, you know, I'm trying to think if there are a couple of other new features. Uh, I think one of the big pushes for us that we've been holding off on is pushing on the user tagging and list making. Mm -hmm. And I think we've reached the point where enough of people have expressed interest in that, particularly among the faculty, uh -huh. that uh, you know that it's something we can uh, have a critical mass to push it to push it out and really introduce it and have people take it up. Um, you know, one of the ideas that's been floating in the back of my mind for a long time since I was at Rutgers, um, I read an article about a library in Amsterdam that instead of using um, digital user tags, they had physical user tags so what they did was they had different return slots uh -huh. depending on what like if you thought something was a good read then you'd put it in the slot that said a good read right cool. and so they did like a physical version of that um and i've been thinking about stickers and if people could like put a sticker on the book of them when they when they return it and have it translate into um you know a tag in the system cool uh, then that'd be a cool sort of bridge of the physical and digital and that's why, you know, um, I know some people thought it was silly, but, you know, we were excited about the idea of emoji tagging. So I'm excited to see, you know, that go forward. Um, and, you know, the fact that something like that, that seems kind of superficial and silly actually ties to this deeper question of, you know, full Unicode compliance is, is in the database is kind of cool. Uh, it kind of points out that, you know, um, sometimes, things that seem superficial actually have important under I think that pushing more of a social interaction aspect in the catalog is key. I would honestly love to see some kind of ability to hook up with friends and see their breeding history in the future, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Um, you know, can you comment on that at all? Do you think the social networking aspect is something that's important to incorporate into the catalog? I think social reading is, uh, yeah, it's really, I mean, it's where people are going and you see things like Goodreads and what have you, and whether it's, you know, integrations with that kind of social reading, um, you know, I think 
for me, the reviews are another area. I think the difficult thing at a high school is sort of this bridging this space between, you know, privacy and, and sociability or social networking, um, you know, where we've sort of treaded softly on that. And, you know, we, we, uh, we've anonymized our users' borrowing history. But again, that's something where um, if they have control over the data, you know, I mean, their data, right? Uh, yeah. Um, and I definitely think that's an exciting area. I mean, one of the things that the last conference I presented at, I actually talked about um, recreational reading uh, and teenagers and some of the programs we've done to try and promote that here. And I think the biggest thing we've seen is when you can add a social element to sharing about, well, what am I reading or what, you know, uh, I mean, we go to the bookstore in town and we actually buy the books that the kids pick at the bookstore and let them take them home. We slap cool. a barcode on them so they bring them back to the library when they're done. But um, that whole social interaction around the books really drives people, you know, they, right? They're looking for recommendations. What are my friends reading? What, what do they like? Maybe I'll like that too. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. I think the more we can bring that into the catalog with lists and things being shared and tags, uh, you know, that allow people to sort of say, you know, this is a good read, right? Check this one out, you know, uh, that, that will, yeah. Cool. That will be a win. <laughs> awesome. So what kind of advice would you give to listeners today that are considering a move to open source? I mean, my biggest thing would be, you know, consider, consider your resources and think about uh, what kind of, you know, what kind of commitment are you prepared to, well, first of all, what kind of commitment are you already making to your current ILS, right? If you're paying 50 grand a year for your current ILS, you could spend that money better because if you go open source, you know, the hosting and support costs are going to be less, almost guaranteed. And then there's other things you could be doing with that money, whether it's improving that, that system itself, putting money into enhancements, whether it's putting money into uh, integrating with other systems. I mean, I guess the number one thing for me would be look at the opportunities, right? And, you know, know that you will then control the system. You will own it. Um, now, if you're afraid of that, that's where, you know, they should be talking to you guys or other, you know, another vendor, uh, does deals with support for open source systems because having third party support providers takes that for me, it takes that fear away, right? I know that you guys have our backs. You guys are going to keep our system up and running. You're going to manage the upgrades. If we have a report that we can't figure out how to tweak, we, you know, put in a ticket and it gets addressed. And so I think having, know that you have that backstop available. If you partner with, with a company like Bywater that provides support and hosting services. So, um, but you know, maybe if you're a bigger, you know, library with, with assistance department, maybe you want to self host. Uh, maybe you want to self-host plus some support, right? There's different, I guess, just know that you can be flexible, uh, right? If you're working with a proprietary ILS provider, you're not experiencing flexibility right now. I can almost guarantee it. 
So just that opening your mind to the range of possibilities is, is be my number one piece of advice. Yeah. Uh, they really are wider than, than you might be aware. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, Rob, um, always inspiring to talk to you. Thanks for joining us today for our podcast for the library is open. Um, it's always exciting to hear what's going on and, and see what you guys are doing. Um, sure. Nate, thank you today for our thank session. And uh, we look forward to talking to everybody on our next session of The Library is Open. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Rob. Thanks, Jesse. Bye, guys.